We have been talking about it last week, actually, for even a few weeks before that, the vision that God has given our church. I don't know if you picked up on the song selection this week. I was feeling a little Eastery as we were completing our Easter plans and the, the, the flyer and the invitations and thinking about Easter, even the passion of Christ. And so obviously that was all running through my mind. I didn't realize that until I realized all of those songs are very Eastery. So I hope and I pray that God is moving your heart in that same direction, especially as we talk about what God's vision is for our church. We began last week talking about becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. We do that by belonging together, by believing in Christ alone, and by blessing our world. And we've decided that in the month of March, we're going to take all those four B's, and of course you know why they all start with the same letter, because it's a Baptist church, and that's really the only way I know how to talk. So all of the words will start with the same letter, in this case a B. So we talked about becoming. This week we're talking about belonging, and specifically belonging together. That is so important, because here's the problem. We Americans, we come by our get her done, uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of mentality. We come by that honestly. Our heroes are guys like Rambo and, and the Lone Ranger and, and, and our, our early the, the settlers that set out all by themselves or maybe just with their family to the West to, to find their own land and build their own house and cook their own meat and take care of themselves all by themselves. Even the pilgrims, they were willing to get in a boat and go to a, a place that no no one had ever heard of. I mean, Wi-Fi didn't even reach all the way to the new world, and they got in this boat. They went there just so they could have their own freedom and individuality and decide things for themselves. We can't get in any other way. We, we, we've got to stand on our own two feet. That's what we teach our kids, and, and that's how we raise our kids, and that's what we, we celebrate as Americans. That is very much a part of our culture, if not our culture itself. The problem is... We don't find that in God's word. Oh, yeah, I, I get it. That's the American way, and we've all been raised that way. We understand that. We, we train that way. We even celebrate that. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach independence from God, but rather dependence upon God. Let me read a couple of things to you and talk about it. You, you've uh, heard me talk about uh, uh, Dr. Woodward. He's a, a pastor and a writer. He writes this about individualism. He says, individualism saturates American culture to the point that we no longer notice it. Individualism tells us we can become more like Jesus all by ourselves uh, through self-help program or more self-effort. It happens when we collective, uh, but, but true followers of Christ are collectively engaged in grace-filled spiritual practices. We cultivate particular environments that help us to create a missional culture together, and that in turn reshapes our own hearts. It is so important that we understand that just because American culture pushes, encourages, celebrates individuality, God's word teaches preaches, commands dependence upon God. We've all held a baby. That's a, about the sweetest thing you can do when it's a, a little bitty four-month-old, three-month-old, even up to five or six. They're just so fat and mushy and, and fun to cuddle. 
until <laughs> they hit about 11 or 12 months. And then you know what happens, right? Then the squirming begins. They've had a taste of what it's like to get up on their own two feet, and they can't wait to get down until they're down, then they want back up. And you know how that goes back and forth and back and forth. As soon as you got them and you're just enjoying like you used to even just a month ago, they're squirming and throwing themselves back. Anything they can do to get down and stand on their own two feet. Peter was writing to a church full of folks with the same problem. They didn't have a culture that taught them to be independent, but rather they had a different problem. But the same problem uh, caused the same effect. And these folks had, 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 had run from the persecution from Rome. Peter was the pastor of a big church in Rome, but he was writing his letter, First Peter, not to his own church, but rather to the church that had spread out because of the, the persecution that had broken out at the martyrdom of, of Stephen. And so these Folks were hiding out in homes, they were hiding out in cellars, they were hiding out on the rooftops of their homes, they were hiding out in caves, trying to live out their Christianity, hunkered down, locked in, shut in, all by themselves. Does it sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> and Peter said, no, that's not how we live out our Christianity. That is not how we live out our faith. God has called us to community. He has called us to do it together. You can't live out your faith hunkered down by yourself. Even, even if there's persecution, we're not experiencing that just yet. But, but even if there's persecution still, you need to be together, come together, join together. Because only together... Can we serve God and know God? We belong together. So what does that look like? If you have your Bible, you can open up to the passage that we're reading today. If you have your Bible app, simply open up the Bible app, hit the word events, and then choose our church. You'll have all the sermon notes and the sermon text there as well. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let's read the text, and we're going to dig in and find out what it means to belong together. Becoming fully devoted followers of Christ by belonging together. What does it say? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, there's four, at least four descriptors, the four that we're going to look at today. The four descriptors, characteristics of the believer. That's you and me. These characteristics are interesting in that every single one of them talks about a group, a family, a people, a priesthood, a nation. Every single time, he's talking about people gathered together, not that rugged individualist out on his own or her own, doing it by themselves. But every single time, he's speaking to them in groups. So what is he saying? Number one, look at that first one. Before we understand how we belong together, number one, we need to understand how we belong to God. Look at the very first one. But you are a chosen people. This word chosen is so rich. It actually means more than just to, to handpick. It means to handpick or select out or say, I, I want that one. It's as if God had checked out the whole congregation or maybe, maybe the whole city of Cape Coral, and he said, I want, I choose Jacob on purpose. Not like, well, uh, what do you got left? Uh, throw him in the bag, and I'll sort it out when I get home. No, he looked everywhere, and he chose Jacob. That's what God is saying. That's this word. In fact, oftentimes in the Bible, this word chosen is the same word for adoption. 
Now, you may have heard me say this before, but in those days, you could, uh, if, if, if times were tough or maybe you were sick or you couldn't care for your children, you were allowed to give your children up for adoption, even back in Jesus' day. That was legal and that was a practice. However, however, if you had ever adopted a child, uh, maybe, maybe a family member had gotten sick or had died and you adopted their children, or a neighbor had passed away and you adopted their children into your home, if you got sick or you were out of money or you couldn't care for the children, you could give your own children up, but you could never, ever give up an adopted child. It was a special law for them. Never again could they be given up. This is the word that God chooses. So when God checks out all of Cape Coral, all of our congregation, all of Florida, and he says, I want Jacob, what is he saying? He says, I want Jacob today and forever. And this is the word God uses. So, so when we say we belong to God, we're saying we are wanted, we are chosen. God wanted us for today and forever. There's a, a Christian author named Mary Rice. I love to read her stuff, and maybe I've even told you her story, but, but she was born with a, with a physical handicap that caused her to walk with a limp. This was in the last century. And she uh, was very embarrassed by that, and the kids would laugh and, and mock her when she would walk and make fun of her. So she would always get to class first, and she would leave classroom last just so the kids wouldn't see how she walked and make fun of her. Well, one day it was time for the hearing test in school, and you may remember some of you uh, seniors back in the day, there were no doctors or nurses in the hospitals. It was very simple. You would walk up to the teacher's desk, and she would whisper something in your ear, and if you could hear it, you were good, and you sat back down until next year. Well, this was that day, and Mary sat in her desk sweating and her face red with embarrassment as each child went forward and came back until finally it was her turn. She was so anxious at this moment, she could barely even breathe. She began hobbling to the front, and just as she thought, the children started giggling and laughing and saying things behind her back. She gets to the teacher's desk. She leans in, and this is what she hears. Mary, I wish you were my daughter. It took her breath away. She wrote years later in one of her books, she said, that one sentence, those few words, that one experience changed the course of my life forever. Someone wanted me. Someone loved me the way I was. I had never experienced that in my little bitty life, and that changed who I was then and who I am today. That's you. God loves you. He chose you. He wants you, and not just for today, as long as you're doing everything right, and if you mess up or do things wrong or don't do enough of the good things, then he kicks you out. That is not biblical. He loves you now and forever. You are a chosen and chosen people. The word people is like the, the word for family. He's, he's put us all together. We, we're, we're not blood relatives when we come together like this. The only thing, in fact, most of us have in common, because we're all so different, the only thing most of us have in common is we we all have a daddy who chose us. That's it. But guess what? That's enough. We don't have to all be the same. We don't all have to dress alike, look alike, act alike. The only thing we really need in common is that we all have a daddy who chose us. It's like one big, one big adopted family. How beautiful is that? Just a little tidbit. I'm going to make it fast. I'm going to talk about it in a few weeks. But you may notice in the back of the sanctuary, we've been cleaning out that little corner, getting it ready, setting up some chairs and tables. 
one day we're going to have a little cafe back there, and it's going to have a very special impact on the foster and adoption ministry of the Florida Baptist Convention. It's called the One More Child Organization. That little cafe will be encouraging, even financially supporting that. Don't worry, we're not charging for coffee. It's still free, but you'll have the opportunity to throw in a buck for your cup of coffee, and all of that money will go towards foster and adoption ministry of the Florida Baptist Convention because that's how important. We know what it's like to be adopted, and we want those children to know that same feeling. Number two, after we understand that we belong to God, number two, we need to understand that we belong together in discipleship. Look at the next little characteristic. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, this is unusual. What is royal priesthood? That doesn't sound like any kind of words that we would normally use in everyday conversation. Certainly not words that we would put together in a sentence, royal priesthood. What in the world does that mean? It, it, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that we are an association of, of kingly priests, that somehow we have arrived, we have evolved, we have made it. We're at the top, and, and we're out there inviting others to come in so we can reign over them and show them what it's like to be as spiritual as we are. That's not at all what God's saying. In fact, if anything, if anything, God is saying we are an association of priests in service to the king. We are not special. He is special. We are not special, but we serve the one who is special. We have not arrived. Remember, we are becoming. It is a process. We are all in the process. Okay, some of us may have gotten a little bit further along. We had a head start because of our parents or our grandparents, but we're bringing everyone along, and so we are a, uh, an association of priests. But what does that word priest mean? Well, back, back in the Bible days, even back to the Old Testament Bible days, a priest was one who had special access to God. A priest is one who could speak directly to God, hear directly from God, approach God directly. He was one who served others. He was one who denied himself in order to lift others up. A priest was, was, was in the Old Testament who was able to study, to show himself approved because they had an, a, a responsibility to God, but also to the, the community. They were, they were to study, to show themselves approved to God, say, I, I'm all in. I'm going to learn this. This isn't stuff I'm just spewing out for rote memory. I'm going to live this out so that my followers and my brothers and sisters understand what it's like. And they, they were able to deny self and to serve others. They were self feeders. And what do I mean by self-feeders? Oh, we're going to watch a little funny video that kind of demonstrates this in just a minute, but, but a, a priest was able to dig into God's word all by himself, maybe early in the morning, maybe late at night. He was able to, to, to find Bible study opportunities, maybe on Sunday afternoon, maybe on Sunday morning, maybe on Tuesday night or Thursday morning. He was able to dig in and, and get the information needed all by himself. He was able to pray, and not just a little prayer before a meal, but like multiple times during the day, all through the week. He was able to feed his soul, whether he made it to church on Sunday or he didn't. He was able to feed his soul because he knew God's word. The problem is I think too many of us are still stuck in kind of that faith, that spiritual kindergarten, and we have not grown. Let, let me see if we can watch this video and give you a better picture of what that looks like. Good morning, Reagan. Good morning. Good morning, Madison. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning, Johnny. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? 
why not move on? And I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny? Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. I'm just very successful yes. here. Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? A B. But I mean, in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. D. D. Dog. E. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. It's really good. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still, still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? How humiliating would that be? Just don't think I could handle that kind of embarrassment. That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. <laughs> I mean, is that what it's all about? Just getting by, learning those those, those kindergarten level faith lessons getting them down pat so we can kind of do it by rote memory without investing any more time, any more energy, any more faith. Is that what Christianity is all about? Far be it from that. We are called to grow. We are becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And we're doing that by belonging together, even in discipleship, encouraging each other, lifting each other up, even challenging each other as we grow in our faith. Um, Neil Cole, a church planter in California, he puts it this way. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, how good your preaching, how good your programs, or how good your property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not healthy. Folks, that is not the goal, obviously. We all laugh and know that. God is calling us together to grow in our discipleship, actively growing on our own, not because we've been guilted into it or harangued by our pastor, but rather because we have a hunger to grow and seek out opportunities to, to, to invite others and to, to give generously and to attend Bible studies and Sunday school and to show up on Saturday afternoon in the open air or here on Sunday morning. God is calling us for a deeper, closer, fully devoted relationship to him. Thirdly, God, we belong together also exclusively together. Let's continue on. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Holy? I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I know most of you, and uh, I know I know me. I don't know if I'd call any of us holy. I mean, kind of nice and friendly and a couple of us are spiritual, but holy? 
I mean, holy, that's like, you know, that's like really, I mean, that's like Jesus, you know. How could we be holy? Well, this book right here, this book has a cover on both sides, full of thousands of pages, thousands and thousands of words written on the pages. We call this book a holy book. But all around our building, we probably have another thousand books. We don't call those holy books. Why is this book holy and those books are not? They've got covers, they've got pages, they've got words, but this book is a holy book. Why? Well, you might argue because of its author, and that would be a very good opportunity to say, yes, you're right, but I believe even more so, this word holy, Greek, is hagion, and what it means is um, made or created for a special purpose separated out with a different goal in mind. God is saying, this book, yes, it's got a couple covers, tons of pages, thousands of words, but it's holy because it has a special purpose. This is my love letter to you, the instruction manual, if you will, for your life and for your future and for all eternity, for all of God's people. And you are also made and created that way. You have a special purpose. You are separated out. Here's the deal. You are not supposed to fit in. You are a square peg in a round world hole. So many of us believers say, I, I, I just don't fit in. I don't fit in with my friends at work. I don't fit in with my family anymore like I used to before I met the Lord. I don't fit in with the neighbors. I, I mean, I try, and I'm, I'm trying to be friendly, and we invite them over, but we're just different good. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to fit in. That is not your goal. Our goal is not to be like this world. Our world, our, our world is very different. God, it created us and separated us out. We are supposed to be exclusive, not, not better than everyone. Of course, that is not what God is talking about, but different. And we are a holy nation. That word nation is a word ethnos in Greek. We get the word et- ethnic, ethnic group. This is, this is even smaller than a country. We talk about countries and dividing those countries with borders, and some, some countries have walls, I mean actual walls between them, so you know who are the insiders and who are the outsiders. That's not this word. This word is an ethnic group. It's much more intimate, much, much closer. It's, it's, it's your affinity group. The people, the people who, who, who have the same culture as you, the same thought patterns, the same world paradigm as you, other believers, that's your ethnic, ethnos, nation group, that's who you are, God has called you out, uh, Germans have a great word for this, it's a, uh, well you probably know it already, it's Staatszugehörigkeit, right, you, you probably knew that one already, right, but um, it means specifically what the Bible is saying, it says, what nation do you belong to? If you walk into their country, you've got to present your passport. They'll ask you about your Staatszugehörigkeit. What nation do you belong to? I dare you. The next time you pull into Germany and they ask you that question, you say, the nation of Jesus. Because <laughs> that's, that's the right answer. I, I mean, that's exactly what God wants us to understand and get a hold of and live out because we are not supposed to live here. Another probably even better word in our culture would be, what is your tribe? This, this is your tribe. God wants us to feel at home here and not at home out there. Not that we, that we close off relationships and lose friends and, and only relate to other believers. That, of course, is never the intention here. But we're not to feel at home outside of our tribe. We're to invite and to love and to share all the blessings that God has given us with everyone. But feeling at home is for inside the tribe. And then finally, fourth, how do we belong together? Number four, we belong together 
in God's mission. Let's read the last little bit of the passage. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, so what is, what is God saying here? We belong together in God's mission. This special possession that we just read there, that, that descriptor, that characteristic of the believer means this. It's, um, it, it's, it's actually more than just special or, or people who are special. In fact, the word for people there is the word laos, which is where we get our word laity. So he's talking about normal folks, and not the paid staff that stand up here and, and get money to talk to people about Jesus. He's talking about normal folks, folks in the pew, guys and gals that show up most Sunday mornings and they're just doing the very best they can. That's who he's talking about. You are special. But the word special in the Greek means this, um, uh, like a, uh, a special weapon or a special tool for a future, for a future vindication or, or battle. Now, what in the world does that mean? God is saying this. He said, I have a plan. My plan, all through the, the Bible, since the beginning of time, all through the Old Testament, through the time of Jesus, all the way to the end of the New Testament, his plan, his mission, God's mission was to reconcile a lost world back to himself. God is inviting us to be on that mission with him. We churches, we pastors, we Christians, we've gotten it backwards. We think we churches, that we have a mission and we ask God to bless it so we can go out and win the world for him and, and somehow he'll reward us for being faithful in the mission that we've dreamed up. It's the exact opposite. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. God's mission is to reconcile a lost world back to himself. Here's the deal. Someone's got to go do it. So to accomplish that mission, God says, the best way we can do it is to start a church. Get folks that, that consider themselves a tribe, pulling together, encouraging each other, spurring each other on to growth and discipleship, belonging to God. This church, this body, they are going to win the world. They're going to vindicate me, win the battle, and draw a lost world back to himself. That is the plan. And you and I are his secret weapons. What do we do on this secret weapon, secret agent journey, mission of God? He says it right here that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That word declare is packed with meaning. About half the times you find the word in the Bible is talking about how we proclaim back to God, how we praise God with our lips, how we, how we speak and adore God with our lips. So part of that, at least half the time we find it in the Bible, is about our communication back to and for God. The other half of the time, it's about our communication to the world, and it means how we testify, how we preach and proclaim and testify about our experience with God to people who do not yet know him. So what is God saying? It's a 50-50 deal. It's not either or. Either I come to church and I'm a, one of those insider Christians. I feel most at home here. I love to come here. Don't get me out on the street, pastor. Or you love to go out and talk to folks and live out there, but you're not so into the whole Christian thing. No, no, God's saying it's a both and. God is calling us to be involved in both things. It is not linear. You grow up in your faith and one day you're able to be sent off and to be a missionary. No, we're all in this together. In fact, that's what we've been learning 
in the second hour, this Sunday school time we've been having. We started last week, we continue this week, and then on the weeks to come. That's where we, we, we learn the tools and the practical experiences, best practices, we call it, of how to actually live out our faith, not only proclaim and, and, and profess and, and to praise God, but also to, to testify to our friends and our neighbors in a culturally sensitive way that would cause them to ask questions that they aren't even asking yet and to come to know Jesus as we have come to know him. In fact, before we close, let me give you a couple examples of some of the things we learned last week and maybe get you excited about coming this week as well. Uh, we were talking about the car show last week. Now, we all experienced that, or many of us did, at least through pictures. It was a fantastic day. The weather was perfect. The food was incredible. All the volunteers were so busy from early morning until late afternoon, and the guests uh, they could not have been more gracious and thankful for all that we did for them. They loved it. They've never experienced anything like that. These are some of the things they said to us. But the best thing about it was they loved the opportunity to rub shoulders with folks from this church. That's why we did it. We had these little Easter invites, and I told the ladies at the front desk, I said, no, 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 don't hand them out as people come by, because they were getting all kinds of paperwork for their car and for the day and for the food, and if it's just one more piece of paper, it's going to get chucked at the end. We're only going to give these out in the context of a personal conversation, and that was a challenge. And boy, our folks, they were up for the challenge. They said, great, Pastor, I like it. They filled their little pocket full of invites, and they went. <laughs> and they started chatting these folks up, and they admired their car, and they talked about the beautiful weather, and they talked about the food that was coming or that they had just enjoyed. Talked about all of those things. And they said, hey, you, you think you had fun today? You should see what they do on Easter. It's incredible. In fact, I, I've got an invite right here. Would you come? Would you be a part of it? So many people responded favorably. So many people said, wow, after all the love we've experienced here, I can't wait to see what y'all do on Easter. That's a tremendous way to use a, an open, a public, a pre-evangelistic event for an opportunity for a gospel invitation, a gospel conversation. Let me give you one more example that we talked about last week. It's a, it's a rule that I told all of my new missionaries on the mission field, and I would love to make a rule here in our church. Here's the rule. Are you ready? To be a fully devoted follower of Christ, to be able to proclaim to God, but also testify to the world, this is what you do. I hope you're writing this down. <clears throat> Never use the ATM machine. You got that? All right, we'll see you next week. What, what, do, you, what do you think that's about? Well, why would your pastor care if you use the ATM machine? I mean, what, why... And why is it good, Jimmy, to go inside the bank instead of using the ATM machine? Because they're tellers, because they're tellers behind the And what do the tellers have that the machine doesn't have? A heart, a soul, exactly. Yeah, using the ATM machine is so much faster. It's so much easier. I know how busy you are. You got your to-do list. And we Americans, we do everything on the list. We love to check off those things. And if we happen to do something that wasn't on the list, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, we write it on there just so we can check that off too. I get it. We're all the same. We love to get her done, check it off, get things accomplished. I understand that, and it's so much faster at the ATM machine or the drive through or the Uber Eats or whatever else we do to save time because we are so important. I'm asking you to change that chip. 
I'm asking you to not go to the bank or go to the grocery store or go to the gas station just to get money or get food or get gas. I am asking you to go to the grocery store to talk to teller number one. You haven't even learned her name yet, but she's always right there at teller number one. Now, okay, while you're there, pick up some eggs and, and bread and whatever else your husband or wife asks you to get, but you're not going to the grocery store to get groceries. You're going to the grocery store to have a gospel conversation. You're praying before, you're praying during, and you're praying afterwards. And, and yeah, you get your eggs and you get your butter and whatever else you were supposed to get, but you've had that gospel conversation. It is not rocket science. We're not looking to send 100 people off to Africa to be missionaries. I want you to stay right here. Just change that chip. Stop looking for the quick, easy, fast way to go through life and start looking for the ways you can make the greatest impact for the kingdom without ever leaving your city. That is being a fully devoted followers of Christ. That is belonging together, and that's what God is calling us to do. Let's pray. Father God, you are the God of the universe, and it breaks your heart when your creation have walked away from you. And you are longing to bring them back. Father, all through your word, the Old and even the New Testament, we see this missio day, this mission of God being painted as a beautiful picture of how you long for and call for the reconciliation of the world back to yourself. And you, God, have chosen to use us. We are your secret weapon. We often think, Lord, couldn't you have, couldn't you have come up with something better? <laughs> it feels like we just slow you down at times. But not today. Not today, Lord, because today we are saying yes. We are embracing our belonging to you. We are embracing our belonging to each other. God, we are embracing the call that you have placed on our lives to belong together as a special, separated out, adopted family of kids with only one thing in common. We all have a father that chose us. God, I pray that never gets old, that we never forget the impact of that biblical truth. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. I pray that we would gather together and own it, that we would gather together in building your kingdom right here in this city. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it's, in our church, we uh, once a month, we celebrate what we call a uh, communion or Lord's Supper. Our church celebrates open communion. That only means this. If you're a believer in Christ, because the Bible teaches that only believers should participate in the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer in Christ, whether you're a member here or a member somewhere else and you're just visiting, you are welcome to participate with us. In fact, if you, uh, if you didn't get one of our little cups, please uh, wave your hand. Greg, our chairman of deacons, he'll bring you one right now. Uh, we participate in this once a month, and we, we believe that in these special times, it's, it's kind of like uh, hitting that reset button uh, in our hearts and our spirits. You know, in, in a month, a lot could happen. You know, we take one small step off to the right or off to the left, or we just kind of plop ourselves down and take a rest, and before we know it, a whole month has gone by, and we're, we're veering off course from what God has placed on our lives. So let's use these moments of silence and quiet just to, 
to reconnect to God's vision for our lives. We've been talking a lot about what that looks like for our church. And of course, it's my prayer as pastor that we would all embrace this for our own lives. But maybe right there in this area of belonging, you have veered off. And God is calling you back to be in line with his will. We'll be reading from his word. We'll be participating in this. And we'll be leaving lots of silence in the middle. That time is for you to talk to God and allow him to speak to you and and to bring you back in line with his will. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word and, and, and read about what you did and why you did this, Father, and what you've asked us to remember, I pray that you would cause our hearts and our minds just to open to you. Fill us now, Jesus, with, with what it means to reset our hearts and our souls to your will. Allow us to let go of things that we've tried to carry on with us and drag along the way that don't belong any longer in our lives. And allow us to hold only on to you, to belong only to you and to each other, to believe only in you and not in things of the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.